Welcome to the Schwartz on Sports podcast, hosted by Noah Schwartz. Hey everyone, welcome back to Schwartz on Sports. The show is presented by Belly Up Podcast Network, and I'm so excited to be back. I'm your host, Noah Schwartz. A jam-packed episode today. We'll talk some football and some NBA. We'll start with the big trade in the National Basketball Association from last night. Uh, Russell Westbrook uh, got traded for John Wall. We'll talk all about that. Talk about the Wednesday afternoon football game that happened yesterday with the Steelers and Ravens. Uh, Talk about Week 13 in the NFL and then finish the show up with the breaking news from yesterday and then also this morning with the two Laker extensions, LeBron James' two-year deal worth $85 million, and then Anthony Davis, a five-year max deal worth $190 million. So we'll talk all about that. But let's begin with the big trade from last night. So Russell Westbrook, the aging, oftentimes injured, very controversial point guard, was with Houston last year. And he is going to tra- get traded to Washington in exchange for John Wall, similar, an aging veteran point guard, superstar, but a guy who much maligned, a guy who's had his fair share of injuries and struggles over the years, and then also first-round picks getting thrown in there. So the first-round pick really doesn't matter. There's protections on it. Maybe it'll become a second-rounder at some point. doesn't really matter. The big thing here is that we got two star point guards getting traded uh, for one another. And, and to me, I look at this trade, and, and they're really the same guy. I mean, John Wall is just a, a, a lesser version of Russell Westbrook at this point. Both guys are on mega extensions. Like I said, both guys are oftentimes injured. Uh, both guys have their issues shooting the basketball. Uh, both guys, you never know what their health is going to be, both going into this season, and they could just get nicked up at any point. It's just, these these players are just two guys end, ending, right, right now, uh, entering the end of their prime, possibly out of their prime, especially with Wall. And it just, it just really shows that both guys needed a change of scenery from where they were. Westbrook was with Houston, and he'd been there for just last year, and he was with James Harden, and it just didn't seem to really work. They lost in the second round. They got creamed by the Lakers in five games, barely were able to even escape the first round. And so it just didn't really work. Russell Westbrook struggled last year shooting the three, and the team really didn't perform up to expectations after losing so early in the playoffs in the bubble. And then in talk in terms of John Wall, I mean, he was he was Washington for a decade. First overall pick years ago out of Kentucky. And he was great for a while. They won three playoff series over the course of his career there. He had Bradley Beal as a co-star. But I think at some point, the sort of mini rivalry between Beal and Wall started where Wall thought he was the face of the franchise, but Beal thought he was the face of the franchise, and they could just never see eye to eye fully for extended periods of time. And it just led to this point where they just couldn't couldn't be the faces of the team anymore, couldn't work together as a tandem in the backcourt. So they had to move on. Both guys, like I said, are on, on just ex- extremely ridiculous contracts. Russell Westbrook's got three years left. John Wall's got three years left. Both guys are going to make 41-ish million this year, about 44 million next season, and then 47 million the following year. And for for tough to deal with point guards who can't shoot, it's just a lot of money. And that's why there was very little trade interest in either guy. And this was really the only deal that they could work out with any team that they could uh, that they could work with because otherwise there was just no other team that that wanted to be involved in this. And if you ask me who the, who the winner of the trade is, it's definitely Washington. I don't think both teams 
did really great either way, but the the obvious winner has to be Washington. Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal working together in tandem would be very exciting. Uh, as, as tough as it is to deal with Russ at times, and as much as he has struggled at, at various points over the last few years since Kevin Durant left him, he's still maybe the most exciting player to watch in basketball. I mean, he is still such a thrill. He is still such an athletic marvel that he's going to score 25 or 27, 30 points a game for you and put up huge numbers, put, get triple-doubles constantly. And so at the end of the day, although it's hard to play with him and although the offense has to be set around Westbrook most of the time, you can still win games with Russell Westbrook as your starting point guard. And when you have Bradley Beal, a guy who averaged close to 30 points last year, can get seven, eight assists on any given night and is a willing and capable defender, well, all of a sudden you've got two superstars in your backcourt again, two guys who are relatively healthier than John Wall was recently, and you could be a playoff team with that. They have some nice young talent around those guys, most notably Davis Bertans, who Washington just gave a massive contract to. They got Troy Brown, who they drafted a couple years ago. Thomas Bryant is a nice center. Rui Hachimura, coming off his rookie season, had an excellent year from Gonzaga, and they just drafted Denny Avdija in the top 10 of the draft. So they have some really nice young talent, and they're going to be able to surround that young talent with two established superstars in Beal and Russ. And so in a weaker East where the depth isn't there like it is in the West, this could be a playoff team. I think they will be a playoff team. I mean, you have the the obvious Eastern superpowers. You have Milwaukee's going to be there, Brooklyn. You've got the Sixers, Boston, Toronto's very good. Indiana's very good. But there's no reason why. Miami's very good. There's no reason why the Washington Wizards can't be somewhere maybe six or seven seed in the East. They have they have the talent to do that. And in this league, a lot of times it's about mixing chemistry with the right amount of star power, the right stars together. And in this case, I think that in a lot of ways you do have the right stars together. They're going to be able to have youth, but also have the experience and guys that have played in big playoff games. And I like that. I also like that the there's a connection between the head coach and Russell Westbrook here. Scott Brooks was with Oklahoma City for a very, very long time with Russell Westbrook, uh, pre-Billy Donovan, and they had a lot of success together. They went to, to the NBA Finals in 2012, and so there's no reason why they couldn't be a playoff team. Like I said, the East is weak. The East doesn't have the depth, and so any team that faces the Washington Wizards in the first round of the playoffs may have quite a scare, even if you're a better team than Washington is and, and a more experienced team. Because Westbrook can go out any given night and give you 40, and Bradley Beal can go out on any given night and give you 40. So they have two megastars here, and two guys who are going to put up as big a number as, as any group. I mean, they're maybe the only, besides Anthony Davis and LeBron James, I'll talk about them later, they may be the only duo in the league this year with two guys that average 25 points. There's not that many duos around the league that can do that on any given night, and these two can. So I really like what Washington is starting to build. Tommy Shepard has done a nice job as GM his first few years, especially in the draft. And this sort of put the icing on the cake for them. Now, are they a, a title contender? No, I, I don't think so. But can they be a team that possibly wins one playoff round if they really get to upset somebody? I think they can do that. Look, uh, there's other young teams too in the East that are trying to get into that next group of, of higher level of the higher level tier, maybe like in Atlanta. I mean, they've done a lot, but there's no reason why why this team can't be right in that mix for a 6-7 seed and possibly beat somebody in an early playoff round. And then if you look at from the Houston side, 
Well, the big question now is what happens with James Harden? Because if you pair James Harden and John Wall, well, both those guys are talented, but Harden's difficult to deal with, and Harden wants out, it seems like. And then Wall's going to be there for the next three years, probably, but who knows what his effectiveness level is going to be. He still can't shoot. I mean, he's coming off two years where he's been out. He's really been out for two straight seasons, which is a long time to be out of basketball. And I just don't know how long Harden's going to want to have to deal with that. It looks like Houston's going to keep him around at least until the start of the season. I, I find it very difficult and hard to believe that they would create a trade for him now. But I know Philly's going to be involved whenever uh, the bidding war starts. I know Brooklyn's probably going to be involved whenever the bidding war starts. And so Houston doesn't have to rush, but I can't see it working out long term. If it did, and let's say Harden sort of had a change of heart and said, okay, I'll stick with Houston. You know, I'll, I'll stay with the Rockets. I've, I've been here for so long. Maybe they could be a team that gives gives a real shot of being a playoff team. I mean, the West is tough. Like, there are probably 13 or 14 teams in the Western Conference that in the East would be playoff teams. I mean, that's how good the Western Conference is and can be. And I think Houston could possibly one of the, be one of those teams that maybe isn't one of the teams that everyone's picking to make the postseason, but somebody that sneaks up on you with a super-duper star in Harden. Maybe Wall gets back to prior form or at least close to it. They did sign Christian Wood, who's a very, very nice young player who's with the Pistons for the last few years. And then you have Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker. They have some veterans, guys who have been in big moments before. So I think they could possibly be a team that gets maybe the seven seed. I mean, it's probably it's probably going to be tough for them to get there, but it's definitely not out of the question. But the biggest question really now is how long do they stick with Harden? Can the Rockets still make that partnership work with Wall and Harden? Can they continue to build around James? I just I just don't see it working out long-term. James has said he wants out. James has made it very clear that there are a few teams that he would consider going to, most notably the Brooklyn Nets. And so I expect that at some point sooner rather than later, maybe the trade deadline, maybe early in the season, they just say, all right, Harden, go. We've been You've been here with us for a long time. Now it's time for you to go win a championship. And so that's probably the most likely outcome. But if that doesn't end up happening... Maybe they make the postseason. Probably not. Wall and Russ are, or Wall and Harden are not the same type of duo that Russ and Beal are going to be. Washington won this trade. Okay, on to the Wednesday afternoon football game that happened yesterday. This was a shocker. I have never seen a Wednesday afternoon NFL game in my life. I doubt I ever will ever again. I mean, hopefully there's no other global pandemic that forces players to have to miss the game and they have to push it back four times. I mean, let's just hope that never happens again for all of us. I mean, all of our sake. Uh, But yesterday, the Steelers did play the Ravens finally. It was supposed to be on Thanksgiving. It got moved back six days. There was a ton of chatter about this game beforehand, and I think by the end of it, everyone just had enough. Just play the game, see who wins, and move on because it it was just a lot, and I don't think anybody wanted to hear it anymore. But the Steelers did beat the Ravens yesterday. It was 24-19. And although the Steelers did win, they are still 11-0. They're the only undefeated team in the NFL. I walked away from yesterday's game thinking that that was a truly terrible performance by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they are really the worst undefeated team late in the season that I've ever seen. I, I, I do not think they're as legit as maybe the next person would think. They, I just don't. The, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I look at what their season has been so far, they have won every game, but they have won six games by only one score. Those six games include the following. A win against Denver, 
The, the Broncos are terrible. A win against the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans are horrible. A very close win over the Dallas Cowboys in a afternoon game that I think a lot of people did watch because it was a national game. And they, they beat the Cowboys on the final play of the game. Garrett Gilbert was the fourth-string Dallas quarterback that day. And they just sneaked by and won that game. And then they beat Baltimore yesterday. And although the Ravens were a Super Bowl contender preseason, this was a Baltimore team missing 18 guys on the COVID list. It was close to 20 by the time kickoff, by the time we got to kickoff, including the last year's reigning unanimous MVP, Lamar Jackson, J.K. Dobbins, the starting running back, Mark Ingram, the other starting running back, a bunch of guys on their defense. This just this team was not whole. And Robert Griffin III was the starting quarterback yesterday for Baltimore. And instead of just blowing them out, the Steelers won 24-19. In fact, by the end of the game, the Ravens had to move on to their third-string quarterback, Trace McSorley, and they still only won by five. So it was really a bad performance yesterday by the Steelers. Their defense is is outstanding. It's the best in the NFL. But I don't always trust the offense. I I just don't. I, I think Ben Roethlisberger has been shaky at times this season with his turnovers. He still has had a good year, especially coming off the major injury. But it's just, I find it very hard to trust their offense. They don't run the ball great every single week. The wide receivers are productive, but I don't think any of them is a true number one threat. Even Chase Claypool, even in a phenomenal rookie season. I just, I don't think that this team is as legit as we think that they are. Like I said, six wins by one score this year out of their 11. And two of the other wins that they've had were a win over the New York Giants, where they won by 10 points in the first week of the season. And then they beat the dreadful Philadelphia Eagles by nine points, a team that is having conversations about its quarterback and whether they should bench Carson Wentz, and they just can't get out of their own way either. So the Eagles beat them by nine, Giants beat them by 10, and then six wins by one score, including some terrible football teams. I just don't think that this team is good, that good. I I mean, are are they a contender for the Super Bowl? Yes. Are they a team that could potentially make, uh, you know, beat Kansas City? Yes. But I, I don't think that's happening. The only decisive win they've had all year was a 38-7 win over the Cleveland Browns, a team that, although they're 8-3, has questions about its quarterback. I'll get to them later, or a little bit more later. And has questions about its quarterback and has had guys missing all season, including Nick Chubb at times. I mean, they're a good team, but a young team and a team that nobody expected was going to beat Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh beats them every year. So that's the only decisive win they've had. Every other win has pretty much been close, or it's been a blowout win against a terrible team like Jacksonville, which was a couple weeks ago. But every week they just survive. And, I mean, they just they just seem to sneak by week after week. They just beat you a little bit, and that's all they do. They don't blow you out. They don't impose their will too much on you. They play down to their competition, which is something that really bothers me when NFL teams do that. To me, this is the Chiefs' conference to lose. I mean, Kansas City has all the ingredients to win. They've got the best quarterback. They've got a terrific defense, not to the Steelers' level, but still a terrific defense, especially when you compare it to the the difference in offense between these two teams. They've got maybe the best wide receiver in football in Tyreek Hill. They've got the NFL's best tight end in, in Travis Kelsey. They've got a great offensive line. They've got maybe the NFL's best coach in Andy Reid, the best play caller in Andy Reid. To me, this is the Chiefs' conference to lose. Now, are they the one seed right now? No. Is Pittsburgh still the number one seed? Yes. But this game that happened yesterday, on Wednesday, really didn't tell me much. All it told me was that the Steelers, although they're 11-0 and undefeated, 
aren't as good as we all think that they are. They're just not. And so would it be awesome for the Steelers to continue winning and possibly have a shot at going undefeated to claim the number one seed in the AFC and to claim the home field advantage and, and, the, and the first round bye? There's, no, there's only one first round bye now. Yeah, it would be great for them. And that would give them a significant advantage over Kansas City. But even if that were to happen, there's no chance I'm picking Pittsburgh to beat the, to beat the Chiefs. The Chiefs are just too good. They've got too many weapons. They've got too many playmakers. They've got too many superstars. The Steelers play down to their competition. Now, would they play up to the Chiefs? Maybe. But when you have six wins by one score, including the Broncos, Texans, and Cowboys, I just don't think you're that legit. So I know Mike Tomlin's a great coach. I know the Steelers are a world-class franchise. And I know this team has a lot of talent, and they're 11-0. But I just don't think they're as legit as everyone thinks they are. And I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl. I don't even think they're going to get to the Super Bowl, regardless of whether they get that one seed or they don't. The Chiefs are only a half game behind, and they're still going to win this conference, and they're going to win the Super Bowl because they're the best team in the NFL, and I don't even think it's close. All right, we'll be right back. Commercial break here on Schwartz on Sports, and uh, we'll get to more football talk. We'll do Describe 5 for the week, and then we'll talk a little bit about LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the Los Angeles Lakers. We'll be right back. This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Hoff and Pepper Hot Sauce. Handcrafted with farm-fresh jalapenos and habaneros, Hoff's original hot sauce has gone on to win numerous awards and gain international recognition. Hoff and Pepper always strives to create sauces and seasonings that enhance flavors with balanced heat profiles. Every one of their handmade products is manufactured in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and is naturally vegan and gluten-free. Shop today at hoffandpepper.com, and when you enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout, You'll save 10% off your purchase. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Schwartz on Sports. Back to do a couple more segments here. We will do some Describe 5, pick the best five NFL games of the weekend in week number 13, and pick my winners. And then we will talk a little bit about the Lakers and the big contracts that they were able to sign with their two superstars yesterday. So let's start with some week 13 NFL discussion I can't believe it's already week 13. It has gone really, really fast, and I can't believe that the playoffs are soon approaching. But let's begin with the Browns and Titans, a 1 p.m. AFC playoff team matchup. So to me, this game is going to come down to the two superstar running backs. You have Derrick Henry, who is leading the league in rushing, and then you have Nick Chubb, the other superstar back in this game, who is sixth in the lead in rush in the league in rushing. And this is crazy. He's only played seven games. So you have everybody else who's played 10, 11, maybe 12 games, most of those teams. And then you have Chubb, who was injured for a while and has only played seven, yet he's sixth in the league, or t- tied for sixth in the league in rushing, which is just nuts. So both guys are phenomenal. And I think that both teams have clear formulas of how they win football games and how they've been winning football games all season. For the Titans, it's keep the game close in the first half and then allow your superstar in Derrick Henry to get going in the second half where he is just such a hard ta- guy to tackle that defenses get worn down and they just they don't stop him. And he just runs through people constantly in the second halves of these games. And then for Nick Chubb and, and the Cleveland Browns, it's kind of the same thing. They aren't a great passing team whatsoever, especially without Odell Beckham hurt. And so Baker Mayfield, as shaky as he has been, you just got to kind of rely on him to give you maybe 200 yards and a touchdown or two. And everything else comes from the run game. So these teams want to play as much as they can in close games where they're slightly ahead 
where they can continue to use the, the run game and you don't have to rely too much on your passing game. That's how both teams have won. And as well, both teams like to utilize turnovers. I mean, both teams want to take the ball away, obviously. Both teams have good pass rushes, especially with Cleveland and led by Miles Garrett. So that's really how these teams have won. They have not done it with 400-yard passing days like some other teams in the league. It's all about the running game and playing physical close football games. That's really how they, how they want to go. The Titans last year, and you'll remember this, were great in December. And that was because Henry in the cold weather is such a force, especially down the stretch. And we're able to sneak into the postseason as the sixth seed. And there they went, and they won two playoff games over New England and over the number one seed Baltimore Ravens. And they went to the AFC title game. Derrick Henry led them there. And then you have Cleveland, who's probably going to make the playoffs for the first time in a very, very long time. The Browns are usually awful. But this year, they've been able to win with their defense and win with their run game. And unfortunately, for Baker Mayfield, I just don't trust him. He hasn't been great this year. He struggles with turnovers. He's not a high-volume thrower. And at some point, he's going to have to make big throws. They don't really have the weapons for him to do so. And he doesn't have the confidence and the arm talent to make those throws. Ryan Tannehill is just a better quarterback at this point than Baker Mayfield is. I think the Titans are going to win this game because their offense is slightly better and because they have the slightly better running back, although both guys are awesome. All right, the second game I want to talk about is a matchup of two first-place teams in the NFC, Giants at Seahawks Sunday at 4. Now, it's crazy that these two teams are in first place, but here they are. The Giants at 4-7 and seven are leading the dreadful NFC least. And the Seahawks are leading the best division in the NFL in the NFC West. So a matchup of two first-place teams, as crazy as that may sound, here we are. Now, the Seahawks have been playing their best football the last couple of weeks. They beat the Arizona Cardinals on a Thursday night game a couple weeks ago. And then they just beat the Eagles in a Monday night game, which was a really huge win for them, and it put them at 8-3. and three. They've been playing their best football for the reason being... Their defense has improved. They have arguably the NFL's worst defense, and it was the case for the first two and a half months of the season. But in the last maybe month or so, maybe four or five weeks, they've been playing better. They've had 22 sacks over the last five games, which is a very good number. The pass rush has significantly improved since Jamal Adams got back from injury and since they acquired Carlos Dunlap from the Bengals. Both of those additions have made huge impacts, and they've paid dividends for the Seattle defense. And the pass defense has been better. The pass defense was, and I talked about this on an earlier episode, was by far the worst in NFL history, giving up like 360 yards passing a game. Now they've been doing slightly better. It's not, they're not world beaters out there, but they're not the worst maybe anymore in the NFL either, which is definitely an improvement. Now for the Giants, this game is going to be a tough one for them to win. Number one, they have to fly cross country to Seattle. Seattle is always a tough place to play. It could be raining. It could be cold. We don't know the weather conditions, but that's typically what you'll see in Seattle in December. And also, they're not going to have a starting quarterback. The Giants lost Daniel Jones last week to a hamstring injury against the Bengals when they won in a close 19-17 win. And it it forced Colt McCoy to take over. Now, Colt McCoy is a serviceable NFL backup, but serviceable is all that he is. He is going to turn the ball over. He doesn't have a dynamic arm. He doesn't have great chemistry with these receivers. And he's not the mobile quarterback that Daniel Jones is. Jones is going to get out of the pocket. He's going to run. I mean, we've seen at different times this season that he is very, very good with his legs. He's dynamic. He can make plays when he has to go on the move. But McCoy's not going to do that. And he's not the the thrower that Daniel Jones is at this point either. So Russell Wilson's not going to lose to Colt McCoy. 
The only reason I did this game this week was because it's two first place teams, but I think the Seahawks could win this game by 20 or 30 points, honestly. Although the Giant defense has improved, they're not going to stop DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson and Chris Carson. And Colt McCoy is not going to be able to do enough with the Giants offense for them to keep this game close. The Seahawks are going to win. All right, the third game I want to talk about is the another another uh, two more NFC West teams, the seven and four Rams at the six and five Cardinals. This is a four o'clock uh, game on Fox. Now these are two teams that I definitely like a lot, but both teams have been struggling. Uh, both teams are coming off bad losses to teams sub five hundred. So the Cardinals just lost to New England, and then the Rams just lost to the dreadful 49ers. And the reason is the quarterbacks have not been as good as they were earlier in the season. Jared Goff has had his turnover problems recently, which is really bad news for the for the Rams. And then in terms of Kyler Murray for the Cardinals, he has a bad shoulder. So both guys have not been playing up to standard, one because of injury, one just because of ineffectiveness. But neither one has been killing it the way that they were earlier in the season. And both teams really want to win this game because they need to keep pace with Seattle, who, as I think, will probably win on Sunday against the Giants. The Rams are maybe the NFL's weirdest team in terms of inconsistency. They beat up on some great teams at times, but then they lose some games they should win, like the 49ers game, like the Miami Dolphins game that they had earlier this year where they didn't win. Uh, the Rams are inconsistent. They just are. And some weeks they'll come out like world beaters and other weeks they're not. So I, I don't really like that about them, but I do think that when they're whole and healthy and playing well, they are the NFL's or the NFC's second best team just because they're so well-rounded. They've got a great defense. They've got a dynamic offense with its the three running backs, and then you got the two star receivers in Cup and Robert Woods. That's what I like about the Rams, and I love Sean McVay. But I, I am a little frustrated that they keep losing games they should win. So you know you have that. And then for the Cardinals, they were six and three. They were coming off that phenomenal, crazy win over the Buffalo Bills with the DeAndre Hopkins Hail Mary. And since then they've lost two straight, the Seattle game that they just lost, and then the Pats. And you can blame that on the shoulder for Kyler, but at the same time, the defense has to step up and make plays. And maybe if Kyler Murray is not doing, not being able to do the same uh, sort of stuff running-wise as he was during, earlier in the season, and his arm's not where it was, that's gotta. That means they have to rely more on the run game. And Kenyon Drake this season has not been as good as maybe some people would have thought. And Chase Edmonds, the backup, is just more of a, a pass-catching back. So it's going to be hard for the Cardinals to win this game. I think the Rams are going to get a huge road win because of that, because Kyler hasn't been able to throw the ball effectively, and because the run game just isn't there. This team is young. This team is going to make the playoffs, I think, in Arizona, but they've struggled recently, and when a young team struggles, it seems to often spiral out of control, and I think the Rams are better just in terms of just bouncing back from their losses and getting back to where they were previously. So I'm going to take the Rams. All right, the fourth game I'm going to pick this week is the Eagles and the Packers. This is a Sunday 425 game. This is the national game, the America's Game of the Week on Fox from Lambeau Field. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the Eagles separate from this game, but what we saw on Monday night was truly a disaster from the Philadelphia Eagles. The game was sort of close that they played against Seattle, but in theory, I mean, this was a disaster. The whole world is really caving in on the Eagles right now, and it only gets worse by the week. Carson Wentz is having his worst season as a pro. He leads the league in turnovers, and... If you look at his personal turnover numbers with the interceptions and fumbles, it is he has had turned the ball over more than most teams in the league have. I think it's like 25 or 26 teams that he has turned the ball over more than. So that's really bad. And every single week, the rumors get louder that they may throw Jalen Hurts, the second-round rookie, into the game at Oklahoma. 
I wouldn't do that. I think they have much bigger issues than what they've been able to throw out there at quarterback this year. But if it continues to get worse, maybe that's something you do for a game or two just to see if you can clear Carson's head and get him playing where he was last year when he won the NFC East at 9-7. and seven. Now, like I said, this team has big issues, more than more so than the quarterback. The coaching this year has been really bad. I'm a big Doug Peterson fan. I have been in the past. But for some reason, he's really lost it with the run game. They have not been willing to run the ball this year. And you have a dynamic player in Miles Sanders back there. Give him the football whenever you can. They should be relying on that more than they have been. And then the receivers can't separate. I mean, you, you drafted Jalen Rager in the first round, and he looks like a total bust. I mean, you have Justin Jefferson who was picked just after him with the Vikings, and he's maybe the best rookie receiver in the league. And then you have Deshaun Jackson, who's been hurt. Alshon Jeffrey, who's a washed-up veteran. And they don't really have a lot on offense besides those guys. Dallas Goddard's your number one target right now, and he's your number two tight end when, Car- when uh, Zach Ertz is healthy. So it has just been really bad for the Eagles. And the biggest issue they have is the offensive line is atrocious. Gave up six sacks the other day to Seattle, and the Seattle pass rush has not been good this season, and they still gave up six sacks. They have injuries there. Jason Peters is like 38 or 39. Lane Jonathan's out for the year. Brandon Brooks is out for the year. The kid they picked in the first round a year ago is out for the year. It's just really bad. The offensive line is awful, and the weapons are awful, and the coaching has been awful. So if you take all that and you 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 put that in addition to what Carson Wentz has been able to do this year, which is very little, if anything, you're going to have a, an awful football team that's 3-7-1 and one, and may just lose the worst division in league history in this year's NFC East. So I feel bad for the Eagles. I feel bad for Carson Wentz. I feel bad for the fan base because they are upset. But they've just got to get this thing turned around. And I still believe they have a shot to win this division, but they have a tough schedule and they're playing a very good Packers team this week, a team that just blew out the Chicago Bears in a primetime Sunday night game. They beat them 41-25 and it wasn't even that close because the Bears scored a couple of garbage time touchdowns. Otherwise, the Packers have been playing great. They're 8-3. and three. Uh, Matt LaFleur and Matt Aaron Rodgers look like they're really starting to connect with each other. And although I'm skeptical about their defense a little bit and about their receiver depth, there's no reason why they can't make the NFC title game, possibly even win that. So I just think that the Packers are a little bit too much for the Eagles this week. I'm tempted to pick the Eagles because I do think they have a shot to win this division. But the way that Aaron Rodgers has been playing as an MVP candidate, I think this is the week where he sinks the Eagles season. Maybe they never even recover, and I'm tempted to go the other way. I'm tempted to pick Philly because I, I do think they're the most talented team in their division, and they have a shot to win it, but Aaron Rodgers this week is just going to be too much at home. All right, final game I'm picking, Broncos and Chiefs. There's not that many good games on this week, but this is the Sunday night game, so I figured I would I would talk about it. Uh, this game is going to be a brown. The Chiefs are 10-1. They're the best team in the NFL. I said that before. They're better than Pittsburgh. They're better than the Rams. They're better than the Saints. They're, they're the best team in the NFL. And they're facing a team that just is just really bad. I mean, what we saw last week with them having no quarterbacks and playing a practice squad receiver at quarterback in Kendall Hinton was just horrible. I felt so bad for Kendall Hinton. I hope he gets an opportunity somewhere as an NFL wide receiver. Maybe it's with Denver. Maybe it's elsewhere. But throwing him out there and making him play that game was just so unfair. And you have to blame Drew Locke. You have to blame all the other quarterbacks that were involved in this whole thing that they had to sit. And it's just it's just terrible. And I just think that the Broncos now, they already were, have already lost their way, but I think it's even worse now 
I bet the I bet you there's a lot of uh, chemistry issues going on in that locker room. I bet the quarterbacks have been being blamed a lot for what happened here by the other players and coaches. And meanwhile, it's Patrick Mahomes' world, and we're all just living in it because he's got the best receiver, maybe the best tight end, maybe uh, in the league defense, the best coach, probably. I mean, he is an, he's going to win the MVP. He's thrown like 30 touchdowns and two picks all season. I mean, he is just playing at another level. And they're going to win this game at home on Sunday night football uh, in front of uh, the national audience by probably 20 or 30. They're going to blow out the Broncos. The Broncos, I know they're a rival, but sometimes the talent differential is just too big and the Chiefs are going to win this game by a lot. All right, that was my described five for the week. So the five games I'm picking, Browns-Titans, I'm picking the Titans. Giants-Seahawks, I'm picking Seattle. Rams Cardinals, I'm picking the Rams on on the road. Eagles Packers, I'm picking the Packers. And Broncos Chiefs, I'm picking Kansas City, the defending champions. All right, we'll be right back. Quick commercial break, and then we'll do our final segment here on Schwartz on Sports. This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Invader Coffee. Invader Coffee is an ultra-premium veteran-owned coffee company proudly delivering only the best coffee your hard-earned money can buy. They aim to serve only the highest quality organic air-roasted coffee beans sourced from free trade farms all over the world. They keep things simple, the best coffee at an affordable price in order to provide you with the value you deserve for your morning boost. 100% fair trade, 100% organic coffee beans, 100% air-roasted, 100% money-back guarantee. Visit InvaderCoffee.com and enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout to receive 15% off your order. Hey everyone, final segment of the day here on Schwartz on Sports, and it involves the Lakers. I know the Lakers are always at the center of attention in the NBA, and today on the show is no different. Uh, Two huge contracts that the team was able to get done with its two big stars, either uh, yesterday, number one, and then uh, this morning, number two. And it is going to keep them as contenders for the long haul. So first, LeBron signed a two-year deal worth $85 million on an extension. So that keeps him with the Lakers for at least the next three seasons. He'll have this season, 2021, and then the extension covers 2022 and 2023, at which point he'll have finished his 20th NBA season and he could possibly play into his 40s if he continues to resign or maybe go somewhere else, whatever he decides to do. But he'll probably finish out his career with the Lakers however long he decides to go for. And then Anthony Davis, this morning, we found out that he's going to sign a five-year deal, a max deal, $190 million. This is really a four-year contract because he can opt out after the fourth season. But either way, he's going to be with the Lakers for the long, long-term future. So great for LA. It's great for the city. It's great for the fans. It's great for the organization. They have two of the top five players in the world for the long-term and you just have to be happy if you root for the Lakers and you want them to win championships. Um, this is a, a real steal on both accounts here. Both guys are getting probably less than they actually are worth. I mean, LeBron is going to get forty-five million or forty. What is it? Forty-three-ish million this season. He's probably worth more than that. I mean, John Wall's making forty-seven million in a couple years. LeBron's better than John Wall. LeBron's better than James Harden. This is a below-market deal. And then Anthony Davis is going to make $32 million a season this year, and it kind of goes up by $3 million in each of the following seasons. That's a pretty good bargain for the NBA's best big man. So they, I know these contracts were pretty much max deals, and you can't go any higher than that. But just based on what the market value would tell you, I think this is a steal for on both accounts. Um, LeBron is now going into his 18th year, and he wants to be a lifetime Laker, I think, as I said. And 
he has all these records to break. I mean, he's going to be probably the all-time leading scorer in a couple of seasons and top five in assists. And I think he wants to do that in front of the LA crowd where they're always at the center of attention. They're always on national television. He's going to want to break all those records and continue to win championships while he's in LA. And the biggest thing about this deal is after 2023, he can evaluate his career and see where he's at and decide if he wants to play possibly against or even with his own son because Bronny James is going to be graduating high school at that point. And in 2023, we're probably going to see high schoolers allowed back into the draft for the first time in almost 20 years. And so once that happens, LeBron may want to continue to stay in the league so that he can play against his own kid, which would be truly awesome. I mean, we saw it in baseball with the Griffies, and it happens so rarely that you just want to see it when it happens to all-time great players. I want to see that happen. I know most fans would want to see that happen. And we're gonna we're probably going to get a chance to do that because I don't think going into year 21, he'll want to stop. He's going to be 39 at that point. He's still the best player in the world now. In three years, you've got to expect he'll still be very productive, if not one of the best. And maybe he'll keep going. Maybe he'll play against or with his own son. It would be totally cool. Uh, as for Anthony Davis, he wants to put his name into the long, long list of Laker big men. Now, the Lakers have had a lot of stars play for them over the years, both at guard, forward, and center. You can start at guard with guys like Jerry West and Kobe. You can say at, power, at, at small forward with James Worthy and LeBron, Magic Johnson, also a guard. Uh, in terms of big guys, you have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Will Chamberlain and Shaq. I mean, there are just so many stars that have played for the Lakers at different points in their careers, many of them for their the, major, the majority of their careers. And I think Anthony Davis wants to put himself into the list of Laker big men that have just been so successful. You start with Wilt, you go to Kareem, you have Shaq, Pau Gasol, Bob McAdoo played there for a time. They've had so many Hall of Fame big men, and Anthony Davis wants to be that next guy. He probably wants to have a statue outside of Staples Center one day, and he's going to be about 31 years old when he reaches free agency again. Maybe he'll leave, maybe he'll stay, but if he can continue to put up huge numbers for the next four or five years and possibly into the future on a next contract, maybe he'll be one of those guys that has a statue outside of Staples Center. We know LeBron might be one of those guys too if he continues to win rings here. Um, so this is really a great move on the Lakers for the Lakers for, on both guys. I was shocked, especially with Anthony Davis, that they decided that he was going to go uh, with the five-year deal rather than the two plus one, two years plus a player option, or even a one plus one, one year plus the player option. I was shocked that he decided to go long-term. His financial earnings would be probably more maximized if he decided to take another contract, but he wanted to remain loyal. He wanted to, I guess, just thank the Lakers and thank Jeannie Buss and thank Rob Polinka and uh, and just basically thank them for bringing him in last year and trading so much of their future away with Ingram and Lonzo Ball and all those guys. And they brought him in and they won a championship in year one. And the chemistry between him and LeBron was crystal clear from the first game. The Rich Paul connection is also there, obviously, so they were friends prior, but it, it all worked out so well in the first year, and now they're going to have these guys in tow for, for a while, and there's no reason why they can't win even more championships. The Lakers, I don't think that they had a great offseason, maybe to the extent that other people did, but they did bring in some nice talent, especially with Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell, and they're going to be the favorites this year. I don't think anybody, any sane person would deny that. They're the favorites going into this season to win the championship. 
depending on where James Harden possibly ends up, I mean, if he goes to Brooklyn, maybe it changes, but they're the favorite now. And going into a, a next season in 2022, they'll probably be maybe not the favorite or at least one of the heavy favorites. And then going forward, they'll they'll still be right in that championship conversation because you have two superstars, you have some young talent around you. And as we know about NBA champions, most of the time you bring in veterans on below market deals to come in and try and win a win with you. I mean, they did it this year with a guy like Marc Gasol, minimum contract. They bring him in for a couple of years. And he'll just be the starting center probably uh, on a below market contract based on his status as a Hall of Fame level player. But he comes in and he's going to try and help win another championship. LA is the perfect place for that. People want to play in the warm weather. People want to play in the big market. People want to play for an iconic franchise. You have two stars and you can have veterans come and join you along with a couple of young guys. So this is a perfect setup for the Lakers. They don't keep themselves uh, with these guys for too long. It's not you know where they're going to be with them for the next 10 years or anything. But for, at least for the, the near future, at least for the next three, four, five years, you have these guys with you and you can always change your team up after that if it doesn't work out. But they already won one championship. They don't think that there's any reason why they can't win more. And both guys want to be two of the greatest Lakers ever. So to bring them both back and to keep them uh, with, with this team for a while is just a really great idea. And I expect them to win a championship again this year. I think most people do. And we'll see how it goes with the season approaching. But you have these guys both locked up on long-term contracts, and I think if you're if you're Rob Palenka, the GM today, and Frank Vogel, the head coach, you are absolutely thrilled about where your franchise is headed in the near future. All right, on to Noah's number one performer, our final little segment here of the day. Uh, there's only one person that I consider doing this week because I have to recognize a college football player for his all-time great performance on Saturday. Jarrett Patterson from the University of Buffalo, the running back. Just get, let me, let me, let me put these numbers out there. 36 carries in a game for 409 yards and eight, I repeat, eight touchdowns. Now the 409 yards is just short of the all time record for rushing yards in a game in college football. It's just uh, maybe 20 something yards short of that. Samaj P. Ryan has that all time record, but it's close and the eight touchdowns believe it or not, is actually tied for the all-time record. I thought he'd have the record, but he actually doesn't. Um, so he's just a little bit short of that. And he is just a phenomenal running back for the University of Buffalo. He did this in the MAC, which is a, a pretty high-level conference. Not a Power 5, but just below that in the group of five. And he is one of the best players in the country this year. I expect him to be a relatively high pick in the NFL draft when he comes out. And I just have to honor him for 409 yards and eight touchdowns. It, it almost sounds like video game numbers. It's like you're playing Madden. And this is what he actually did in a real game. He probably could have broken the all-time record if he wasn't pulled out of the game in a total absolute blowout late in the game. But he didn't stay in there. He probably could have broken it if he did. But either way, 409 yards and eight TD speaks for itself. He is my number one performer of the week, Jarrett Patterson. All right, that's going to do it for me here today on Schwartz on Sports. A great conversation. We talked NFL. We talked some NBA. Uh, I know that baseball's offseason is getting kind of getting into full swing now, so I'll probably start doing some more uh, some more topics on that. Uh, college football, the playoffs are approaching. College basketball is underway. It is really starting to kick into high gear with sports. I know we, we missed it for a while with this pandemic, but thank God it's all starting to come back and everything's starting to look uh, a little bit more normal as we get this vaccine and everything else that's on its way. So Happy about that, and enjoy the football this weekend. Um, enjoy the college basketball also, which is happening every day, and uh, 
I'll see you guys next week for our next episode. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.